Good morning. Be uh, turning in your Bibles in a moment to the eighth chapter of Matthew. Uh, before we uh, start with the sermon, uh, just you know, this being the first Sunday in December, it's my mind usually about this time of year starts turning. Okay, well, what am I going to preach next year? <laughs> and so it's always a, a challenge for a preacher, especially this will be my uh, starting our fifteenth year with the congregation here. Actually, back in September, we started our 15th year, but our 15th new year with this congregation, and uh, I don't know if I preached everything that I should preach. Is there things I haven't preached that I need to preach? Uh, maybe there's some subjects that I, you'd like to hear me preach on. Uh, I would uh, appreciate the input, try to plan this out so I'll you know, try to preach the whole counsel of God. It's hard to preach the whole Bible in one year. You can't do it, but I can't preach every subject in one year. But I like to uh, make sure that I, there's things that are, I'm covering, that we're not overlooking things, and we're not skipping things, and that there maybe there are things that you would like to hear me bring, uh, bring a message on or a lesson on. Appreciate the feedback if you would be willing to, to give that to me as I'm trying to plan out my year. And so, uh, you know, Speak to me, email me, text me, whatever, any way that you can. And so, anyway, I appreciate that. If you would uh, just kind of consider some things that you might want to hear me address or some things I've overlooked. And so, uh, without further ado, let's get to the sermon then. You know, we're talking about the centurion and his faith. Anything about faith, it's such a marvelous thing to behold. You know, when you, when you look at some of the characters in the Bible and you see the demonstration of their faith, it's just, it's amazing. You know, uh, and also when you see people around you, you know, from time to time as you visit with people who are experiencing, you know, very trying times, you know, you can be amazed at the strength of their faith. You know, I've known people who have dealt with some terrible things, you know, terrible disease, the consequences of bad choices. Uh, simply uh, dealing with just bad luck. Things happen. And uh, yet you see their strength and you see their faith that never wavers through all of it. They're confident that their faith will see them through whatever the situation may be. Their faith is inspiring and beautiful to hold to think about it when you see someone who is going through that and yet their faith is strong. You know, we were amazed at the faith of some of the people of old time. You think about uh, Abraham. And Abraham, he's told that he's going to have a son, but he's well past childbearing age. His wife is past childbearing age. He's past the age where typically you can have children. He's 100 years old. And yet he still has faith that God will give him that child that he has promised. And furthermore, he continues in that faith and acts... Or, Genesis chapter 22, where he is told to take his only begotten son, that son of promise, and sacrifice him. And we know that, because the Hebrews writer, we know that his thinking was, his understanding was that God could bring him back from the dead if he did go through with uh, killing him. And so he was willing to do that. That's amazing faith when you think about Abraham. You know, I love the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I, I'm going to paraphrase what happens in Daniel 3, 16 through 18. You know, they don't bow down to the image they're supposed to bow down to. And the king is angry and he says, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you into that fiery furnace. And remember, in their faith, they say, king, we're not afraid to answer you. 
You know, we, uh, you can throw us in that fiery furnace, and our God can deliver us, but if he won't deliver us, still we will not bow down and serve your idol. We see it with, King da- or with David in Psalm 27 and verse 13. He said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. We see that great faith. It is marvelous to behold. You know, but what about when we see great faith in one who is, you know, maybe not of the seed of Abraham? Is not their faith even more remarkable? Having no direct uh, experience as a child of God, their actions of faith are incredible to behold. And so one such person is this centurion that we read about in Matthew chapter 8 and also in Luke chapter uh, 7. You know, he was a Roman centurion. He is not a Jew. He is a Gentile. But his love and his devotion for his servant is clearly evidence. His faith in Christ is simple and trusting. And the miracle of this, it's, again, uh, we see this in him. And so it is a marvelous faith, and Jesus is going to remark on this faith, the faith of this man. Now, as I said before, it's, it's uh, found in, in Luke chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 8. And uh, as we'll look at both passages, so go ahead and mark both passages and, and kind of keep your finger in one and your uh, marker in the other, I guess. But um, now there are some that say, well, here's a great big contradiction. Skeptics will call this a contradiction because in in one sense, in Matthew, it seems like Jesus is talking directly to the centurion. And in Luke's account, it is shown that it is coming through messengers that he is communicating with the centurion. And so they'll say, well, there's a contradiction. Absolutely not a contradiction. You know, if I send someone a message to another person, I'm still talking to that person. And so Luke just gives more information than Matthew does. Uh, He does not in any way contradict Matthew. And so you can just throw that out right there. And so let's get in and look here at this miracle, the details of the miracle. Uh, We begin in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 8. And it says, uh, we see the centurion's request. And it says, when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And so, uh, you know, this man was a centurion, a Roman military officer, a captain of, uh, at least in the beginning, a captain of 100 soldiers. By this time in the empire, it's more like 80, but uh, we're in a century. But either way, he's over a century, over uh, you know, a basic unit of the Roman military. He's not necessarily a high-ranking Roman soldier. He could be, but uh, he's a basically like a senior enlisted man. It's basically what the centurion is. He was a Gentile, uh, of course, as shown by the text. No doubt he was one of the few Gentiles who saw the emptiness and falsehood of the pagan religions and maybe came to favor Judaism. And so he is a Roman, he is a centurion, he is stationed in uh, Israel, stationed in Capernaum, and so he has uh, you know, been influenced by the faith of God. 
Notice uh, what Luke says in Luke chapter 7, verses 3 through 5. It says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servants. And when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation and hath built us a synagogue. And so this is a man that loves Israel. He loves the God of Israel. Though he is not of Israel, he has built them a synagogue. Now it's interesting to note that the Roman soldiers were half warrior and half builder. That's basically what they did. Everywhere they went, they built roads, they built forts, and they fought. And so uh, they are experienced at both things. It's one of the amazing things about the Roman army and, and why they were so successful. Uh, they could build things as well. And so he was a builder. He built this uh, building for them. A centurion uh, also is mentioned four other times in the New Testament. And every time we read about it, it's, it's, we read about them in a favorable light. Not sure why that is, but that's just that happens to be the case. Luke 23, verse 47, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 27. Uh, some of the times we run into centurions, and nothing bad seems to be said of them. And so uh, he makes his request. He's got a servant, someone he cares about enough that he is going to send people to Jesus. He's heard about what Jesus can do. He's heard of the miracles, and he sends a delegation. Uh, he sends the elders of the, of the synagogue, the Jews that would vouch for him, the kind of character he had. And so there's a man of high character, and a, a man who has heard, and a man who has belief. Now, Jesus uh, then communicates back to him in verse 7 of Matthew chapter 8. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. And so Jesus says, very clear, I'm going to come, I will heal him. As Jesus was going with them, the centurion had learned that Jesus was coming, and he sent a fresh group of friends who stated the words of the centurion, which again we see in Luke chapter 7, verses 6 through 8. And there it says, Then Jesus went with them, and he was now not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter in under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers, and I, and I say unto one, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh. And my servant do this, and he doeth it. And so, first of all, notice we see the humility of this centurion. He said, I'm not worthy that you should come to me. And in fact, I'm not even worthy enough to come to you. Isn't that true of all of us, though? That we're not worthy that Christ should come into our lives and come into our homes. We've got to have that humility of that centurion. What great humility. Uh, again, this is a man that's in charge of many people. This is not someone that is, you know, he is of the overlords, you might say, of the Jews. He could have a very uh, 
arrogant attitude. But he does not have that. He has a, a great humility. You know, the Jewish rulers pleaded the worthiness of him. But the centurion, though, he declared his own unworthiness. He did not think himself worthy to go out to Jesus or to be in the presence of Jesus at all. Secondly, the centurion demonstrates his faith as one having great power and authority. You know, he knew that Christ's word would be sufficient in order to heal his servants. He made a simple deduction based upon his faith in Jesus. He says, I'm one, I have authority, and I say to my soldier, frog, and they jump. I, just, I have the authority to do that. I can say, you do this, and they do it instantly. And so he recognized that uh, Jesus had that power. He had the power to heal, and he didn't have to be present to do it. You know, the centurion says, I exercise my authority through others. I delegate my authority to others. I say the word, and it gets done. I say build a synagogue, a synagogue gets built. I say, you know, destroy that fort, that fort gets destroyed. Likewise, he knew that Jesus had that same kind of power when it came to... to uh, Healing his servants. So with his power and authority, he could simply say to the disease, go and it would go. And so uh, we see uh, Jesus says, I'm coming to heal your servant. He finds out, wait a minute, don't, you, I'm not worthy you come to me. Just say the word and he'll be healed. And, and notice uh, Jesus, his reaction to this in verse 10. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. In his experience on this earth, walking among men, he never saw this kind of faith. This kind of absolute acceptance. The faith of the centurion stood out vividly in contrast to the prevailing unbelief of the Jews. Remember, even his own brethren didn't accept him, didn't believe. At least not until after they saw him risen from the dead. You know, only twice do we read that Jesus marveled. Here when he sees this man's faith, but also in Mark chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Uh, where it says that Jesus said to them, this is in uh, Nazareth, said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and went round about the villages teaching. And so among his own people, the ones that he known him for 30 years. He marveled at their unbelief. And yet here he marvels at the belief of this Gentile. And this Gentile puts all of those people to shame. Because he could see what Jesus could do and deduct from there who Jesus was. 
And so Jesus makes this declaration, this statement that's very startling, most likely to the Jews that are present. And he said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you imagine the reaction of this? Here's this Gentile and he marvels at his great faith. And then he makes this statement that the Jews are going to be rejected. You know, observing the faith of the Gentile, Jesus states that the people from all over the world will come and they will sit down with the patriarchs. And yet the Jews of that generation would not. You know, his words reach beyond the present kingdom, uh, the church to the eternal kingdom. As seen in his contrasting the statement of eternal rejection of the unbelieving Jews. The kingdom was first offered to the Jews. And because they rejected it, they would be cast into outer darkness. And so Jesus blesses the centurion then by healing his servant. Verse 13. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed that self same hour. In Luke seven ten, uh, it says, "And they that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole that had been sick, and so he was healed. He was made whole once more." You know, the centurion believed that Jesus could heal his servant by speaking a word. As was his faith, so was the blessing to him and his servants. And he was healed from that very hour. From the moment he spoke the word, that man was healed. The healing is uh, perfect and instantaneous. And so uh, what are some lessons, some applications that we can make from this miracle? You know, first of all, uh, Jesus needed only to speak the word. The centurion understood this. His word had enough power to heal. You know, governors sometimes need to only say a word and a stay of execution takes place. The president just needs to say the word and maybe missiles fly. His power and authority, we see his own display. Uh, we look at our, our Lord and we look at his ministry on this earth. You know, he said to the one who had leprosy, be thou clean. And he was cleansed in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. He said to the raging sea, peace be still. And the storm stopped. And the sea stopped its raging, Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. He took a little dead girl by the hand and said, damsel, I say unto you, arise. And she came back to life, Mark chapter 5. He said to one who had been dead for four days. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And he came forth. In John chapter 11, verses 43 and 44. And there is a day uh, coming in which all who are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. 
unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of death. They that have done good uh, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. His word has the power. By his word, God spoke the universe and everything that is into existence. And by that same word, what he has created has been reserved unto fire on the day of judgment. He has power. No one has the power and authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. No one ever has, no one ever will. And so he understood uh, that his word had power. We here also understand from this that Jesus came to call both Jews and Gentiles, all men, unto or into the kingdom. A little typo there, something I forgot to delete. But he came to call not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. And many of the Gentiles would hear that call and come into the kingdom and be blessed with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 uh, tells us that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. All men. Not just to the Jews. To all men. Now many of the Jews would reject the call through unbelief. And because of it they would not take part in the blessings of God. And in the end would have eternal punishment. All people today who are not part of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. And so he came to call both Jews and Gentiles came to call all men into the kingdom of heaven. We also note that we also can be translated into the kingdom. In Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 it says, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. You know, uh, let us take advantage of the opportunity to be part of the kingdom, both now and in eternity. Those who are in the kingdom will make up uh, uh, the eternal kingdom in the next world. Those who are in the kingdom now will make up the kingdom in the next world. In the end, the present kingdom will be delivered up to God the Father. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In the end, Christ is going to take the kingdom that is on earth and deliver it to heaven for eternity. The faithful who are in the kingdom now will have a glorious entrance into the eternal kingdom in the end. 2 Peter 1 verses 10 and 11 says, Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Christ. And so uh, we see that uh, His Word has the power. It carries authority to heal uh, the servant. It carries the authority to heal us from our sins. All are invited to the kingdom. And all can be translated into the kingdom. Uh, but in order to enter the kingdom, one must be born again. In John chapter 3 and verse 5, uh, there we read, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You've got to be born again. Not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. Born of the water and of the spirits. It is a birth that has two elements. Born of the spirit is to be born of the teachings of the spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 says, Being born again not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. It is the Word that reveals to us who Jesus is. It is through the Word that we can have faith. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It is through the Word that we know how to become a child of God. And so that's one element, born of the Spirit, but also born of the water is to be buried (coughs) in water and raised to newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that so many of you as have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also uh, be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And so one must be born of the water and of the spirits. Hear the word of God and believe it. Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. John chapter 8, Jesus said, Unless you believe that I am he, you shall die in your sins. Unless we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We've got to believe in God. We've got to believe in His Son. And based upon that belief, we've got to repent. Turn away from a life of sin. We need to confess our belief and be baptized to wash away our sins. That's how we enter into the kingdom. Born of the water and of the Spirit. The Spirit's Word tells us what to do. And when we are baptized, we have done what the Spirit's Word has told us to do. And then continue to live faithful as one who is in the kingdom. And not turn away through unbelief as the Jews did. Today if you're here as one who is not a child of God and you want to enter enter into the kingdom, we urge you today to come forward and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Here today as one who is in the kingdom but you have turned away, we urge you to repent and come back. Today if we can help you to respond to the invitation, let us know as we stand and sing.